Welcome everyone. And um, I'd like to continue to um, unfold the teachings together, our exploration together. Kind of, uh, hopefully as we continue, we're getting kind of more and more of the picture, but still early days as, as far as that goes. So I'd like to begin by um, speaking a little bit more about dukkha. Even though this retreat is um, primarily interested in uh, the opposite of dukkha, (laughs) uh, we have to kind of bring in dukkha as well, as we've already been doing. And... um, not an easy word to translate and as we were touching on in the question and response today it's um it's actually also in the dharma used in different ways yeah. it's got different uh meanings or um relates to different levels or aspects of our experience um, but we can say dukkha is a general um definition yeah this ill being the opposite of feeling good <laughs> Yeah, kind of the feeling not good uh, to some degree. Uh, sometimes we say, you know, just a sense of this unease that we may have. Um, and then all the way to the stressful, the painful, um, the distressing, you know, and that common translation suffering, which is kind of the, the extreme uh, end of the, of the spectrum or the range. Um, and so, yeah, just remembering that it's a range and remembering that positioning, uh, dukkha and um, well-being yeah, as in relationship to each other. Yeah? One is the absence of the other, we can say. So something, uh, you know, reason why we're talking about dukkha and uh, I know something that's important yeah, on the Buddha Dharma path is that when we understand yeah, that dukkha is conditioned, yeah, that there's comes together based on particular causes and conditions, and um, it is conditioned, and when we start to understand also how it's conditioned, yeah, uh, this can be uh, very freeing. Yeah. It's going to be very freeing, and that's kind of part of what I'll be. I want to speak about. Um, and so, one way of understanding dukkha or exploring dukkha and how it plays a part um, in our experience, and how we can kind of get the insights, uh, the liberating insights, out of the understanding of dukkha, is to ask. Yeah, and this is a question of the Buddha. Um, quoting, when there is dukkha, what else is there? When dukkha is there, what else is there? What does it come up with? So then when we're feeling a sense of unease, when we're feeling discomfort, when we're feeling stress, what else is there? And, um, you know, we've touched on this already, but you know, something we'll keep coming back to because as we come back to this, we deepen our understanding. 
And as we deepen our understanding, um, possibilities open up. Yeah? The more we can understand the building blocks and the process of construction of dukkha, then we also understand both uh, how to stop building it, stop constructing it, um, how to dissolve it when it's there, uh, and how to cultivate the opposite. Yeah. How to cultivate the opposite of dukkha, how to shape our experience um, towards more and more uh, well-being. And today in the Q&A we learnt <laughs> well-being is not a good word in Czech. So um, we kind of settled on the definition of when we say well-being, we're talking about that which can be enjoyed. Yeah. That which can be enjoyed or appreciated. And again, it has a whole range. Yeah. From, you know, just the, we can say the more sensual well-being of just feeling, you know, the sun on the skin or uh, how the light outside illuminates the awareness. Um, and then more, more and more subtle or kind of more less conditioned uh, aspects of, of things that can be enjoyed or appreciated. So back to that question, when there's dukkha, what else is there? Yeah. It's such a great question. <laughs> uh, it can sound a bit um, kind of like, why are we going down this route? You know, Isn't there enough dukkha in the world? Why do we need to talk about it? Um, but this is a really liberating, freeing question. When there's dukkha, what else is there? And so a few things yeah, that the teachings point to and check with yourself as I mention them. Uh, see if, if they um, correspond to your experience as well. So when there's dukkha in the experience, there is also contraction. Yeah? Limitation of being on Zoom. See, there's the dukkha that you can only see me from here. <laughs> That's dukkha. Um, so there's contraction. I have the sense of, you know, because I speak with my body, not just with my mouth. Yeah, so it's like, ah, so we have to make an effort. When there's dukkha, there's contraction. The space of the body, we can feel the body getting kind of more contracted, more small. Uh, we can also feel, as we've been doing, working with the energy uh, body, we can feel that getting smaller. Yeah, we can feel that contracting, as we've been also talking about, you know, that it shrinks, particularly shrinks around with that which we don't like. So there's contraction that arises with dukkha. There's also reactivity that arises with dukkha and, and the kind of push-pull on experience. You know, I want this, so I want more of this, what I perceive as nice. I want less of that, what I perceive as not nice. And something interesting about the kind of practices we've been doing, and check for yourself, is that we're opening to the enjoyable, but the way we're relating to it is not contracted. Yeah? And we'll be kind of exploring more of this. You know, we can enjoy we can appreciate something in a way that doesn't get contracted and doesn't try to hold on. Yeah? So when we're holding on, we're also getting contracted. Yeah? You see that? Because we're doing this or that. More of this, less of that. Yeah? That's also forms. We can feel it in the body getting contracted. So push-pull reactivity. And with that, more of a sense of for me. Yeah? So, you know... The weather's perfect today, 
I want more of it for me. Yeah, it's for me because I'm not thinking about what it's like for somebody else. Yeah, it's for me, self-referential. Um, and so we can see with the push-pull, with the reactivity, the sense of uh, for me grows, uh, the sense of demand grows, and that sense of self, yeah, the for me appears um, kind of narrower and more limited. Uh, I call it often uh, louder. Yeah? The me or the for me is louder and more defined. There'll be a sense of, you know, I'm more clearly here, me, yeah? and something else or someone else is very clearly defined as not me. Yeah? Even if it's a body sensation in my own body. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah? So you get that um, sense of there's a, a me here that's independent and there's a other somewhere, yeah, including in this body, heart and mind, that is other yeah, to me. So we can feel the rigidity that gets built up here. So we can also say when dukkha is here, there's a rigidity in the mind. Yeah? There's a rigidity and a kind of fixedness in our perspectives and our views. Yeah? And that all builds a sense of experience that is also quite rigid yeah? and fixed. So an example of this can be, um, you know, say we're meditating and uh, one of the hindrances arises, yeah. say, um, restlessness. And if we follow what's going on there, we'll see, okay, there's a lot of energy, Nathan was talking about this yesterday, in the system, in the body, in the mind, in both. Yeah. That is perceived as unpleasant, not what I want right now. Yeah, and so there's reactivity, pushing it away. All of that builds a sense, this is happening to me. This is getting in my way. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am trying to meditate. And here is this restlessness, which is becoming more and more the enemy yeah. to my experience. Yeah. And so we can see how all of that is building up. Contraction. Yeah. And if you don't experience restlessness, play in your mind with one of the other hindrances, yeah? the tiredness, the desire, the aversion, the doubt, and just feel what happens. Yeah. Fixed lens, the rigid experience, restlessness is a really big problem because it's here now and this means it will be here forever and will only get worse. Uh, and what else is there? Dukkha. Yeah? Dukkha is there with all of that, yeah? So you can start to see how all of these are arising together, yeah? The dukkha, the reactivity, the demand for me, the push-pull, yeah? The rigidity of the self-view, the rigidity of the thing, the object, um, they all come up, come together. And, um, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to this. Yeah? How, what are other ways to respond yeah? to the same thing? Yeah? But what's interesting for us is if dukkha, reactivity, demand, push-pull, contraction, yeah? 
this rigidity of the self-sense and the other sense, if they all arise together, you don't need to remember all of them. You just need to remember there's a few. If they all arise together, mutually dependent, does this mean that if one of them goes down, the others will go down? Does that mean that when one of them goes down, the others will go down? And if we look at that from the perspective of the practices we've been doing here, perhaps, yeah, this makes more sense. We can start to see. So, you know, when we keep opening, yeah, the energy body, we keep opening to this wider space, what are we doing? We're relaxing contraction, right? And every time we notice the awareness getting smaller, we open it again. When we keep uh, emphasizing yeah, the softening in attention, that's what we're doing. And so when we soften and open the contraction, less demand, yeah? less dukkha. Yeah? And the sense of self is kind of less interesting <laughs> and um, compelling for us. We identify less with this is happening to me or this is who I am. Yeah? Does that make sense? So far? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, you're giving, you're giving me the, uh, the benefit of the trust. Great. And we can start to see that at any of these places, we can go in, yeah, work with one of them, and they all reduce. So contraction is a really obvious one, but we can also say when we lessen demand, yeah, when we soften yeah, that push-pull, when we kind of open to a different way, a different sense, a different degree of separateness and rigidity in the sense of self, there's less contraction and there's less dukkha. So, for example, if we go back to a hindrance, what happens when we remember, and we need to keep remembering this, because one of the things that happens when there's a hindrance is it's about me, yeah? This is my hindrance. This only happens to me, yeah? Or I have it the worst. Nobody's had it as bad as me, yeah? And all of that is this identification, which is doing exactly the opposite of what we want, yeah? It's creating more contraction, keeping it there, that restlessness, that tiredness, whatever it is. We identify, yeah? And we think, this is who I am. It's personal. It's about me or about what, how good a meditator I am. And so we need to come back again and again and remember this is not personal. Yeah. There's a saying in English, if, I, if someone gave me a penny for every time I thought, yeah, I'm talking about me, that a hindrance was personal, I would be so rich. Yeah. Because we keep thinking it, yeah, we keep going down that trap and that reinforces the building of dukkha for us. So, you know, reminding yourself again and again, not personal, not about me, not mine. This is human. It's ours. It's human. Human. It helps to dissolve that contraction and that kind of push-pull which keeps of reactivity, which keeps it going.
And you know, why do we like humor? Because <laughs> humor is great at releasing yeah, this, you know, and we can see, oh, this is actually funny. Yeah. I'm taking this personally again. It's actually a little bit funny. If we can laugh, what does it do? It relaxes the contraction. It puts things in proportion. It loosens that rigidity of the me and the thing. So things that we've been emphasizing yeah, through this lens of what conditions do call, what is there when do is there, when we've been emphasizing and prioritizing wholeheartedness, that sense of the beauty for which we practice, that sense of the dedication, the devotion, the big picture, yeah? their possibility to open to subtlety of experience, the creativity and playfulness, what do they all do? What do they all do? They all untangle this tangle of dukkha. They relax the contraction. They relax the push-pull. They soften the sense of self. And that sense of rigidity of phenomena self-experience is like this. You know, when we can can meet experience with playfulness and creativity, it stops being so serious and then it stops being so dense. Yeah. I often have this image when I'm in these situations. I imagine myself like a child, you know, quite a young child, uh, making mud pies. I think that's what I'm doing. I'm just playing in the mud. I'm getting dirty. I'm making a mess. Yeah. And just brings lightness. You know, so that, oh, we need to get it right. So when we do this, when we emphasize the wholeheartedness, open to more subtlety and experience, bring creativity and playfulness. Um, to how we engage with experience, dukkha is released and the opposite of dukkha, the well-being and the happiness are nourished. Yeah? And we can say that the opposite way, of course. Well-being and happiness are nourished, dukkha goes down. Yeah? Less dukkha. And this comes back to that kind of um, initial insight, initial understanding that's at the basis of everything we're doing here, that experience is conditioned, including by the way we're relating to it. So when we soften contraction, it's a way of relating. When we bring creativity, it's a way of relating. When we kind of soften the identification and the demand and the for me, it's a way of relating. And you know, we need to see this again and again. It's not an insight that we have one time and we get it. You know, our minds don't work that way. We need to see it again and again, to taste it again and again, that taste of freedom. Yeah. And then to let that insight inform um, our practice. And so we go back to that concept that I think I mentioned in the previous talk of reverse engineering. We're cultivating that which we're moving towards. So samadhi is a space of harmonization, of unification, of spaciousness, of joy, of enjoying, of well-being. 
That's where we're heading towards. And let's take what's available right now in our experience and cultivate that. Cultivate in the immediacy that which we are heading towards. That's kind of our practice. And so there's kind of you know, ways of practicing which are wonderful and beneficial, yeah, that come and say, let's cultivate the capacity to um, kind of uh, release dukkha, yeah, release dukkha. And they also bring samadhi, as again we touched on in the, in the cute question and response this morning. And there's this way, which is just taking the thread of beauty that's available, the thread of enjoyment, pleasantness, okayness that's available, and building that up, building that up. So the goal of samadhi practice, that harmonization, unification, absorption in goodness, in yumminess, (laughs) again we said in the Q&A today, in the well-being, the ease, the happiness, the release. So we kind of keep coming back, keep remembering our well-being, that which can be appreciated and enjoyed. And we grow it, and we nurture it, and we develop it. Because our experience is fabricated. It's put together. Our experience is put together. It's shaped. It's made of conditions. And that means that we can shape it in particular directions. It's a skill that we learn. So having that kind of open awareness that we're cultivating and having open awareness, um, okay, <laughs> caught myself there. Let's use a different terminology because open awareness is sometimes used in a different way. Spacious awareness, yeah, that expanded awareness that we've been cultivated. And having that sense of fluidity, flexibility, that comes with the creativity and the playfulness. They bring a sense of something that is fluid, pliable. Again, the mud pies, yeah? Do you remember what it's like to play with mud? (laughs) Or with clay? You know, you take some earth and you take some water and you mix them together and then you can really make things, yeah? Our heart minds are like that. And as we practice, particularly in this way, in Samadhi practice, we're making the heart and mind more pliable, more flexible, more, we say in English, malleable. It's a word that you almost don't use. But malleable means you can um, mold it, you can put it into different shapes. And that's what we do, you know, we've been doing that with the breath, if you've been using the breath, yeah, both with the sense of, you know, how can I make the breath more comfortable? Can I make it more pleasant? Yeah. Or if you've been using the metta, yeah, exploring the metta, how can I practice the metta in ways that bring more well-being? Yeah. That bring more of a sense of, of warmth, of happiness. We've been emphasizing this wholeheartedness, yeah, bringing the whole being yeah, 
And this is, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's like s- such a strength from our vulnerability because actually sometimes we feel quite vulnerable when we say, this is important to me. Yeah? Or I'm giving myself to this. Yeah? It's a place of vulnerability. So we're bringing all of that, that wholeheartedness, that intensity of intention. At the same time, we're soft. Yeah? It's not a hard kind of wholeheartedness or a hard kind of gatheredness. Yeah? It's delicate. So we can maybe already get a sense that as we're working in that way, we're shaping our awareness, we're shaping our experience towards that delicacy, that beauty of samadhi, of that collectedness, harmonization and unification. And this has already been coming in the the, um, one-to-ones. I want to say, you know, this is an ongoing dance in our practice. How do we do this? How do we both bring that full presence into the moment and yet do it not in a way that's pushing. (laughs) Such a beautiful dance. How much effort? And what are the possibilities with the effort? The effort of showing up. I remember practicing this early on um, and uh, and kind of feeling like ah, I'm making, I'm making too much effort because my head started to, to hurt, <laughs> and I'm not normally with practice someone who makes too much effort. But I was starting to get this head pain, and I went to a one-to-one and I said uh, to the to the teacher, you know, I'm getting this headache. I guess I should be backing off a little bit, putting down the effort. Yeah. And you know, I was. Already very, I had many years of practice, but not this, no experience with this kind of practice yet, or not much. And they said, you know what, let's just change the kind of effort. Yeah. Let's just change the kind of effort. Don't give up on the, you know, oh, I'm really here, I really want this beauty. <laughs> I really want to open to it. But instead of contracting and trying to force, what if you open and the image that came up because we'd both spent a lot of time in India. This was a good image for us. And some of you may know this image. There's a god in the, in the Indian tradition, Hanuman. He's the monkey god. And he serves, supports uh, Ram, yeah, who's a kind of the god for some, in some Hindu lineages. And there's images of this god, Hanuman. He's so devoted to Ram that there's images of this god um, kind of opening their chest and you can see when they open their chest in their heart there's an image of Ram on the heart yeah and so it was like a bit crazy I wasn't planning to give this example it was very helpful for me but the kind of sense of the devotion that we'll be talking about you know amping up the sense of I'm here yeah I'm here for this practice. I'm here for this path. I'm here for this possibility of beauty. Yeah. And of this deep happiness that is possible for us through the practice. Yeah. Not conditioned on external things. Yeah. And so that image, if it's helpful, you know, just a sense of I'm here. And 
you know, it's just, you don't need to, you don't need to claw your chest open. <laughs> just a sense of feeling the heart, yeah? And that heart saying, I am here, I'm willing, and this is important to me. Yeah? And that brings the softness, because it's a kind of softness that's also really, really present. Yeah? So there's a fire there. That's the kind of fire that keeps us warm. It's not the fire that burns and destroys. Yeah. That kind of fire. And so this is very much also what we mean with the responsiveness. Yeah. This with the effort yeah, being the right uh, degree yeah, of fire, of energy, yeah, of presence. Yeah, of determination, that being there and balanced with the devotion, with the gentleness, with the metta and the compassion. Yeah. And that's something we keep playing with. That's why it's like a dance. It doesn't stop like an amazing piece of music. Yeah. It doesn't have an ending point. Can you imagine listening to a, a piece of music that then said, okay, this is the perfect note and we're just going to keep playing that. There's always something more, right? Always another movement. So we keep coming back to this again and again. And this can be really helpful, you know, when we meet difficult uh, places in the practice or when we're meeting a place where we feel, ah, I've gotten here and now I don't know what to do. It feels like it's a plateau. This can also happen. It's not necessarily a difficulty, but it's like things have gotten flat. Ah, what... How can I bring kind of more aliveness, juiciness, devotion into this? Yeah, remembering, you know, hindrances arise, challenges arise. They're all part of our practice. Yeah? They're not, we need to get rid of this so that we can practice. Part of our practice, we bring them into the path. Yeah? Bring them into the path. They're all part of this fire of, of devotion. Yeah, and wholeheartedness. Yeah, how do I meet this? Yeah, here's an opportunity. Yeah, I'm not doing something wrong because there's a hindrance. Yeah, but I'm meeting this. Yeah, how can I meet this well? So as we're doing this, as we're continuing to practice, and you know, it's sometimes when you're in the retreat and in the practice, it's difficult to see that this is happening. But something that is happening is your attention is getting more subtle and so is the object that you're paying attention to. Yeah? So the breath, yeah, you may have noticed, is maybe getting more quiet. Yeah? That's fine. Yeah. The meta, yeah, maybe when it's going, it needs less phrases if you're using the phrases maybe. Yeah? It's also getting more subtle, it's getting more quiet. Um, and as the object is getting more subtle, our attention is also getting more subtle. Sometimes they're not, they're not in sync. <laughs> and so it can be really interesting. We might notice that oh, everything was going really well, and then suddenly I'm distracted. Yeah? What happened there? And we may think, oh, I've done something wrong. Sometimes it's just because things were going really well, the object, the breath, or the meta, the sound, whatever you were using, is getting more subtle. And because the attention hasn't gotten subtle in sync, 
we lose the contact. Yeah? So actually, this is good news, not bad news. <laughs> it's never bad news anyway, but it's not that you lost something. Yeah? It's actually, ah, look, it's gotten more subtle. How beautiful. And now I go back and I work with, you know, how do I make my attention more subtle, which is a whole other kind of beautiful exploration for us. So one way is um, the kind of emphasis on metta that we've had from the beginning. And another emphasis that we've had from the beginning, haven't quite called it this, and so now we'll introduce the name, Mudita, M-U-D-I-T-A. Don't need to remember this name. Uh, it's a sister of metta, sister quality, which is joy. Yeah? Unselfish joy. And so these two are supports for us through the practice, yeah? that atmosphere of kindness. We can say all the practices we've done so far have been metta practices. Because we've been emphasizing the kindness and attention as we've been doing that, nourishing, yeah, building, cultivating more metta in ourselves and in the world. Um, so they're supports for us through the practice. They create a wholesome atmosphere. There are uh, what Rob Robert used to call a cushioning. I love that image. <laughs> they create this atmosphere where things look less bad. Yeah. When we take them less personally, it goes back to the dukkha. There's less dukkha because there's cushioning. Yeah. There's cushioning. Yeah. So we find ourselves, you know, I don't know what it is, being greedy and going for another hot chocolate or whatever. I don't know what options you've got with the Zen Center. I hope I haven't created papancha for anyone. No hot chocolate, whatever it is, another cup of tea or anything. Um, you know, and, and I could just go into that and then, you know, just, you know, the, get critical yeah, of myself, beat myself up. When there's enough metta and medita in the system, when they're prioritized, yeah, I'm more likely to meet that with compassion. Yeah? Or with humor. Yeah? Oh yeah, look at that. I did that again. Yeah? And it does the same thing, well, it does something much better. It loosens, yeah? it loosens that package of dukkha yeah? and allows us to learn yeah? instead of beating ourselves up, which solidifies. Yeah? So it's a support, there's support through the difficulty, both naturally through just being this cushioning and um, through something we can actively bring in. Yeah? Actively bring in. We find this is a difficult moment, being harsh with myself or just... Things aren't flowing well, yeah? And then we bring in the metta to, to support. Um, yeah, important thing to say, I don't think Nathan said it yesterday, if he did, apologies for the repeat. Um, something interesting about samadhi practice is that it's got an elastic band effect. <laughs> so I'll explain what I mean. Like, things will be going really well. You might even have occasionally a day or half a day or sitting, which will feel really fantastic. You think, I'm really, really getting it. This is really starting to deepen, be wonderful. Elastic band tightened. And then before you know it, it goes back, yeah? Because that's what elastic bands do. And you find yourself um, in a hindrance attack. Yeah. And it can be really easy for the mind to say, I've failed, yeah, this is going downhill. It's part of the natural process, okay? What, ha what matters is what we've said a lot, how we meet it, yeah? How we meet it, because the hindrances can become 
a strengthening point for us rather than a problem. But they will come. Yeah? They will come. If you haven't got them, don't go looking for them and enjoy it. <laughs> and if they appear, it's natural. Yeah? They're, part, they're part of our experience and very much part of this particular type of practice. So with metta and mudita, we're inclining the mind to the wholesome. We're creating this cushioning. We're creating something to kind of support us yeah? um, when things are more tricky. Um, so we can say, yeah, all the practices we've done here have been meta practices. Um, and they've also, yeah, and they will become more and more mudita practices. Yeah? Why? Because we've emphasized from the beginning the wholeheartedness. This is part of mudita, the appreciation, the sense of the beauty of our intentions. Yeah? And we are leaning into this joy and delight in things. So Mudita's got some common translations which are appreciative joy, yeah, so we can get a sense, yeah, we've been appreciating that which can be appreciated, yeah, and we've been enjoying that which can be enjoyed. Um, so appreciative joy, unselfish joy, well, remember the beginning of the talk, <laughs> what does Dukkha come with? Yeah, the for me, yeah, rises with that. We start to discover that there are so many layers of joy, aspects of joy and happiness that are available to us that are not about me, that don't come with this contra contractedness and this rigidity of the self um, and this demand of the for me. And a wonderful translation of uh, Mudita, which is not um, linguistically accurate, but really gives a sense of what that what what it is as a quality and particularly in the practices we're doing here active delight yeah a delight that is active rather than passive yeah we are learning to enjoy <laughs> we're learning to delight in things yeah actively actively training the mind um, and heart towards that so so far what we've been emphasizing is um, we've been emphasizing in our practice, yeah, finding the base practice that will lead us yeah, in the most reliable way towards well-being. And we've slowly, and now we're going to make it more clear, <laughs> when there's well-being, yeah, we want to enjoy it. Yeah? So we're going to start enjoying it even more. And just to, again, go back, the, the questions and responses are so great to kind of highlight for us what we need to, to what we're not saying um, clearly enough. So the question, one of the questions today about what do you mean by well-being? What does it feel like? Yeah. So the sense of openness in the being, the kind of sometimes a fluttering or waves of just this pleasant sensation. Yeah, this can come up. Happiness, warmth in the heart, um, kind of all kinds of vibrations, all kinds some some very mundane but deeply beautiful things, and some very crazy things as well can come. Yeah, and what they have in common is that sense of joy, happiness um, in the energy body. Yeah, we feel it through the body, uh, but it is not coming from our physical body. Yeah, that's interesting. 
to see. But don't worry about that. You feel something good in the body, go with it. So we're becoming sensitive to this. And we're starting to be interested in the stability of this enjoyability. Yeah? Stability of the enjoyability. Yeah? When there's something there that's enjoyable, is it steady? Is it stable? Just for a couple of minutes. Don't look at your watch. It's approximate. Because <laughs> yeah? sometimes it'll be like just a flash. And then we'll go back to distraction or whatever it is. But sometimes we get a sense, ah, you know, I'm tuning into this wide body awareness. And there's this pleasantness. It might be very quiet, but there's this pleasant vibration that I can feel. Yeah. And that's actually quite steady. You might be, you know, might be tuning into it right now. Yeah. And it's stable enough. And when it's stable enough, we make a slight shift yeah, in our attention from the base practice to that pleasantness yeah. or well-being or enjoyable something. Yeah. It's a slight shift in our uh, attention, but it's really cool. Yeah. And so it may be that you're not there yet, yeah? and don't worry about it. We're not going at a pace that can be suitable for everyone. Yeah? We're all impacted by a lot of conditions. But when yeah, there is a well-being that you notice in your experience and you notice ah this is stable very gentle shift it's gentle if we snatch it will disappear yeah and our minds are used to snatching yeah catch it quickly before it disappears yeah Yeah? so we learn how to do that shift in attention and then with that shift in attention to the enjoyable itself yeah we start to play with attending to it, to see, is it possible to make it spread through more of the energy body if it's not already in the whole energy body? Often it will come up in one area. Um, Is it possible to sustain the attention with it? This is what I was saying before about the attention, the the object getting more subtle, then the attention needs to get more subtle. So often that takes time for us to learn how to do it. Can I increase the degree of pleasantness that's available? And enjoying is the key. (laughs) When we enjoy something, attention is sustained with it. When attention is sustained with it, that will sustain. That which we're enjoying will sustain. That pleasantness will sustain. And as we enjoy, it will grow and spread. So we're playing with that. Um, And I guess I'll say this now. There's a little um, kind of paradigm which can be helpful. I'll I'll speak more about it tomorrow morning with the instructions and we'll also do a guided practice with this tomorrow morning. Um, But there's a a little acronym that Rob Bobea made up called SASI. S-A-S-S-I-E, okay? And um, the first S is spread. So once the well-being is stable enough, we want to see if we can spread it through more of the body. And we're really playing with it. Yeah, we're really playing with it as if it's like, you know, mud or clay or Play-Doh. <laughs> so it's playing. And what happens? I can play with the breathing. 
I can play with how I'm paying attention to it. I can play with kind of um, blowing meta into it, yeah, like, like fairy dust, just to see how can I spread it. Um, the A is absorb, yeah, We're giving our attention, absorb, yeah? getting more and more into it. The two S's in the middle, I've already said, sustaining the attention with that yumminess, yeah, and sustaining the yumminess itself. Yeah, they're related to each other, but they're slightly different. The I doesn't matter. So I'm not even going to say the word because it, it kind of originally was there and then Rob deleted it, but it stayed to make the sassy because otherwise it would be difficult to say the word. Yeah, so I'm not going to mention what the I is because it will just be confusing. The E is the most important one. Enjoy. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And when we enjoy, it does all the other ones. Yeah, it does all the other ones. So for now, I would say emphasize that. Yeah? And this way of working with the well-being in our experience, with the pleasantness in our experience, um, you know, is kind of a way of developing our samadhi practice from everyday samadhi, you know, which is there when we're collected, when we're gathered. And there's a sense of harmony of body, heart, and mind. Yeah. And then all the way to the deepest states of samadhi. Yeah. Deepest absorptions. Now this is how we get there. <laughs> the deepest, um, well, some of the deepest types of happiness that are available uh, to us as humans. So let's stop here. It's a real kind of trailer, like a trailer to a film um, for the practice tomorrow. But I think for now, just kind of take some time to reflect and take uh, something that feels like, uh, Rob used to use this, like your, the, the um, playground at your edge. Yeah? Where am I right now in the practice? Yeah? Can I come to the edge of that where I'm learning? Yeah? And can I make that my playground? Yeah? So put your um, swings there and your slide and whatever, and, and that's where you're playing. Yeah? That's where you're experimenting. And you're experimenting primarily with enjoying. Yeah? So if I'm still getting into my base practice, great. Yeah? If where I'm at is the... Um, kind of sense of sensitivity to when well-being appears, great. Yeah. I'm there, I'm enjoying, I'm appreciating that. If there's already a sense of well-being that's pretty reliable or pretty steady when it arises and stable where it arises, then I start to enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. And we do that in our formal practice, but I will also say in the informal, yeah, emphasize appreciation and enjoyment. Not in a heavy way, right? Lightness, humor, you know yourself. You know, maybe you're the type of person, if you're told, to enjoy things, you go, like me. <clears throat> I'm not going to do what I'm told. I'm a rebel. Yeah. Don't want to enjoy. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so find your, you know, find your ways. You know yourself. You know? What can help to enjoy, to appreciate? Um, little things, the light, the color. Yeah. The movement of the body yeah, through the world. 
Now the presence of others, all these little things, uh, and emphasize the appreciation, that wholeheartedness, and the enjoyment um, of whatever there is to enjoy. Yeah, so inclining the mind towards that. So thank you. It's been very enjoyable speaking to you, sharing this with you. And thank you for your listening. Um, we'll just close with a, a short, a 10-minute meditation together um, until the tea bell goes at the, at, uh, the Zen Center. And uh, enjoy the rest of the practice and the rest of the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.